This is uh, Jim Fetzer, the conspiracy guy. The current uproar over Donald Trump's ban on the immigration of persons from seven different predominantly Muslim nations has demonstrated in a spectacular fashion the utter incompetence and corruption of the mainstream media up to and including the New York Times. This law was written in 1952. It was passed by a Democrat-controlled Congress, House, and Senate and signed by a Democrat president. Quote, Suspension of entry or imposition of restrictions by president. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, the president may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. End quote. Over here, everyone in the establishment in the political class, Republican, Democrat, media, you name it, is all claiming that what Trump said is dumb, stupid, reckless, dangerous, unconstitutional. Well, it is the law of the land. And it was utilized by Jimmy Carter, no less, in 1979 to keep Iranians out of the United States. But he actually did more. He made all Iranian students already here check in, and then he deported a ton of them. There is precedent for everything Donald Trump has said he wants to do. And if you listen to the wizards of smart in this country and our political establishment, you will think this stuff is just unheard of. It's almost unspeakable. It's just indecent. Here we have in the establishment the reputed best and brightest, the smartest, we're not even qualified to be in their company, no less. And they are dunces on this. In November 1979, United States Attorney General had given all Iranian students one month to report to the local immigration office. 7,000 were found in violation of their visas. 15,000 Iranians were forced to leave the United States in 1979. This law was passed in 1952. Do you know what was going on in 1952, among other things? There was no immigration in 1952. It was shut down. Immigration was shut down from 1924 to 1965. And why did we have this? What was the need for this in 1952? Oh yeah, we had rampant illegal immigration. I'm talking about we suspended legal immigration from 1924 to 1965 but we were being overrun in 1952 like we always are. We're the last great hope of the world. That law was written to allow the president to keep undesirables out and to keep undesirables and to kick undesirables out. There's no mystery. All of these statements that Jimmy Carter made were made in public and the announcements that he made, he was going to send Iranians home, Iranian students home, that they had to report to immigration, that they had to confirm they were here legally. Those who weren't were set back. They put a moratorium on all Iranians being allowed in the country back in 1979. Carter did that publicly. He announced it in public, and he announced it proudly. So here again, number eight, United States Code 1182, inadmissible aliens. Suspension of entry or imposition of restrictions by president. 
Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, meaning he doesn't have to go back and get a new vote, take these actions. This law empowers him to stand up and do what Jimmy Carter did. He may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, until next week, until next year, until whenever he wants, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. So what could be more obvious that the talking heads, the experts being cited endlessly on television, have no idea, no comprehension at all what they're talking about. This is the law of the land, and it has been so since 1952. So there's nothing unconstitutional about it. There's nothing illegal about it. And the idea that this raises a conflict between persons loyal to the Constitution and loyal to Donald Trump is complete and total rubbish. Indeed, here are further more recent comparisons. Against the reality of President Trump simply following an almost identical refugee pause process as President Obama, the media are twisting like pretzels to reconcile how Trump is bad, but Obama is good. In 2011, President Obama put a six-month ban on Iraqi refugees, and there was not a peep of protest. In 2017, President Trump put a 120-day suspension on Syrian refugees, and the media explodes. Notice 120 days is less than six months, which is 180 days. So Obama's suspension was 50% longer than Trump's. Indeed, Obama selected seven countries for enhanced visa security policy, and the media didn't utter a peep. Trump followed the same Obama law, the same Obama DHS policy, and the same 77 countries for a 90-day visa suspension, uh, suspension, and the media goes bananas. This simply cannot be accidental, and given the release from the White House, it most certainly looks like the media was set up to create a crisis when no crisis exists. Uh, and it's simply stunning what is going on here. Uh, this woman was defying a perfectly lawful presidential order. That's Acting Attorney General Sally Yates. She didn't have a legal or constitutional leg to stand on. And yet she grandstanded, got out there, make it a big deal, directed other DOJ uh, 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 employees that they could not defend the Donald for a perfectly legal constitutional executive order. That's what's going on here. And the mainstream media is reinforcing it, perpetuating these absurdities that we're talking about something that's unconstitutional, that's an overreach, that is illegal, and that it raises questions of loyalty, whether you were to be more loyal to Donald Trump than we are to the Constitution. Poppycock. We know, by the way, from our own experience that there have been at least 20 vetted refugees who turned to terrorism after being allowed into America. While the lying media is perpetuating the claim that refugees do not pose a terrorist threat, the facts show otherwise. 
Senator and soon-to-be Attorney General Jeff Session compiled a list of refugees turned jihadists in 2016. While Obama was pushing for dramatic increase in the amount of so-called refugees allowed into the United States. And indeed, the refugee problem worldwide is extraordinarily serious. <clears throat> Here from a website entitled uh, uh, MuslimStatistics.wordpress.com, uh, 81% of Muslims surveyed support Islamic State slaughters coming from an Al Jazeera uh, Arabic poll. Here are other reports. In Sweden, estimated 77% of rapes committed by 2% male population. Crime statistics. Germany, 75% of Algerian migrants have been sex assault victims. More. Poll, 68% of Saudis prefer jihad ally Hillary Clinton. More. Sweden's Muslim problem, half a million women sex attacked in a year. More. 50% of British Muslims surveyed refuse to report terrorism. 44% want forced dress code for women. More. The world's 27 most violent and worst cities are dominated by Islam. I mean, think about it. Obama was so concerned that uh, uh, Trump might pursue the problem of having uh, Muslim refugees in the country that he actually had the Department of Homeland Security tear down NSEERS, capital N-S-E-E-R-S, which was a registry used to track Arabs and Muslims. He had it dismantled to defeat Trump's efforts. Here's part of a story about it. The Obama administration is dismantling a, they use the word here, discriminatory surveillance system that was used after 9-11 to keep tabs on Arabs and Muslims across the U.S. in a move that will make it more difficult for President-elect Donald Trump to achieve his goal of introducing a Muslim registry. Thursday's announcement by the Department of Homeland Security that it's tearing down the remnants of the National Security Entry Exit Registration System, N-S-E-E-R-S, -E -E marks the most audacious attempt yet by Barack Obama to place roadblocks in the way of his successor's declared intentions. A key element of Trump's bid for White House was his threat to prevent non-citizen Muslims from entering the U.S. and keep them under surveillance once inside the country. The NSEERS program was one of the most contentious and widely hated elements of the Bush administration's anti-terror policies, in the wake of 9-11, more than 80,000 people from 25 listed countries, 24 of which had majority Muslim or Arab populations, were forced onto the scheme in which they were required to provide fingerprints in a photograph and periodically present themselves for in-person interviews with DHS officers. Well, think about it. Why are Americans alarmed about massive Muslim entry into the United States. Uh, how short are our memories? We were told that 9-11 was brought to us by 19 Islamic terrorists who commandeered four aircraft and perpetrated those atrocities under the control of a guy off in Afghanistan by the name of Osama bin Laden. That too is complete poppycock, complete fabricated story as I've explained in, in 
America nuked on 9-11. Muslims had nothing to do with it. Stunningly enough, none of those aircraft were, uh, even none of them crashed on 9-11. Two of them, Flight 11, North Tower 77, Pentagon, were not even in the air that day. The other two, 93 Shanksville and 175 South Tower, uh, were still in the air long after they were in the case of Flight 93, supposed to have crashed at Shanksville, where pilots for 9-11 Truth studying air ground communications determined that the plane was over Champaign-Urbana after it had purportedly crashed, and that Flight 175 uh, was in the air over Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, long after it had allegedly hit the South Tower where I obtained Federal Aviation Administration records and determined that the planes used for those two flights were not formally deregistered or taken out of service until 28 September 2005, which raised the questions, how can planes that were not even in the air have crashed on 9-11? And how can planes that crashed on 9-11 have still been in the air four years later? If you want some further substantiation, detailed review of the evidence, photographic, documentary, and otherwise, go to The Real Deal, episode EP, hashtag 100, the 9-11 crash sites, with Major, Major General Albert Stubblebine, U.S. Army retired, who, incidentally, was formerly in charge of all U.S. military signals and photographic intelligence where General Stubblebine not only agrees with me that none of these planes crashed as claimed, but that he gave additional reasons for believing that. And once you understand that none of those planes crashed, it follows that no passengers aboard those planes died in crashes that did not take place, and that if there were no planes that crashed, then there were no Islamic terrorists aboard the planes that caused them to crash. And if you understand the argument, which is really elementary once you appreciate the scope and power of the evidence that proves none of those four planes crashed on 9-11, you understand that the entire war on terror is based upon a fable, a fabrication, which is very appropriate because Philip Zelikow who was in char- the executive director of the 9-11 Commission report, was well prepared for his responsibilities because as an academician, before he entered the government, his area of specialization was the creation and maintenance of public myths. That's right, myths, M-Y-T-H-S. As though we needed any further proof. In his uh, magisterial, the 9-11 Commission report omissions and distortions, David Ray Griffin, the dean of 9-11 studies, observes as his very first point that uh, half a dozen or more of the alleged suicide pilots turned up alive and well the following day and made contact with the British media. I mean, it's all there. It's absurd the extent to which our government has lied to us. So what's going on here is really no surprise. The most striking feature of the situation is that we now have a president of the United States who's actually doing something about it. 
and the, and, the, and the whiners and the whalers in the Democratic Party who don't want to admit that their candidate lost are doing everything they can to obstruct his entry into office, getting his appointees into the cabinet, and a host of other issues, which are causing great concern. Uh, we ought to have a, a higher dedication to the best interests of the United States than we have to the de best interests of the Democratic Party which is tattered and torn and continuing its self-destruction. So what's going on here? As Zero Hedge reported, a color revolution is underway in America. A color revolution, as we witnessed in Ukraine, involves what appears to be a popular uprising against the government, but one that's actually being engineered behind the scenes by powerful parties in the interest of promoting their own political agenda. In this case, Victoria Nuland, now no longer at the Department of State, which is a very good thing, and George Soros, among others, engineered the, the, the revolution in Ukraine that drove out, drove out the democratically elected president and replaced him with a Western puppet. And it's because they have a puppet in Ukraine that we're now having further problems in, in eastern Ukraine involving military action against the ethnically Russian population there in what appears to be a provocation intended to draw Russia into conducting a response where it's very simple in a case like this to report only the response as though it were the initial act of aggression and to ignore the, the actual provocation that brought it about. Uh, I'm reminded of how the popular uprising in Iran taking the American embassy was reported as though it were somehow uh, historically independent of the fact that the CIA had overthrown the democratically elected government of Iran in 1953. Kermit Roosevelt, who was a cousin of Teddy, was the CIA operative responsible for executing that maneuver. And by this point in time, the CIA has brought about uh, regime change in no less than 80 governments. And it now appears that's what's going on here today. As, as uh, the, the report uh, from Zero Hedge explains, uh, well, let me repeat. A Russian joke goes like this question, why can there be no color revolution in the United States? Answer, because there are no U.S. embassies in the United States. Uh, to which he comments, funny maybe, but factually wrong, because I believe a color revolution is being attempted in the United States right now. This is all absolutely crazy, all these protests, because it's evidence that the U.S. intelligence community has gone rogue and is now taking its orders from the neocons and their deep state, and not from the president, and that these agencies are now acting against the interests of the new president. This is a part and parcel of what happens when you have a new government. The most fragile uh, <coughs> period of time is a transition into taking control of the apparatus of the government, which the Democrats, on the one hand, are delaying deliberately, with no doubt, and where these protests are taking place in an effort to uh, 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 proclaim the illegitimacy of the government of, of Donald Trump. It, it's fascinating how Michael Moore is now supporting 100 Days of Resistance to Trump 
as a as a kind of a, a guerrilla war a general commanding popular forces. <clears throat> When Michael Moore himself had previously predicted that Hillary Clinton was going to lose the election because she had been neglecting the white working people in the Rust Belt states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And indeed, that's exactly how it played out. Hillary was a a corrupt candidate. She was enormously hated in rural areas, especially, which Chuck Todd has recently acknowledged, was being suppressed by the mainstream media. She was being propped up by fake polls that were deliberately oversampling Democrats, liberals, and women. And the whole uh, uh, apparatus of the, of the weight of the media, the newspapers, and the major networks was all to raid against him where they, the New York Times, for example, lost all sense of objectivity, no longer reported news objectively, but became an advocate, which it remains to this day. As I've observed more than once, and it's confirmed with every uh, issue that it publishes, it's better thought of as the Langley newsletter, because the CIA has completely infested our media, and, and there is a, there is a CIA... Uh, operative in every newspaper in the country, uh, with the exception perhaps of tiny local outfits that has any national reach, where William Colby, when he was its director, observed that the CIA owns everyone of significance in the mainstream media. What's going along is that this is being conducted by the war criminals that compose the Clinton, Bush, and Obama regimes where the Western media should be tried for their complicity in the massive crimes against humanity, and where it's truly remarkable that while in the past the liberal left was favorable toward Russia and negative toward the CIA, today the liberal left is favorable to the CIA and negative toward Russia where it's paradoxical that the Democrats and the liberal progressive left are mobilizing the anti-war movement to oppose Trump's anti-war policy. Remember, this is a candidate who promised to end the wars in the Middle East. Hillary was a bloodthirsty war hawk behind the slaughter of Libya, the, 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 the butchery of Gaddafi, who was surrendering at a location that the Department of State had specified where she had his convoy traveling under a white flag of surrender, interdicted and had Gaddafi brutally murdered, castrated, and sodomized with a bayonet. And, of course, Benghazi occurred because of Hillary's exuberance over transferring weapons to, uh, to the resistance, the rebels so-called in Syria, where Chris Stevens sought to defeat it. He didn't want Stinger missiles sent and she left him hanging out to dry, telling the commanding general who could have come to his aid that they'd already been evacuated when it was false, and later proclaiming it was due to the innocence of Muslims' trailer that was lampooning the prophet Muhammad when she knew that to be false. Given these considerations, it appears to me we have to go back to review the claim about the inaugural crowd size, where CNN has quietly released an updated photograph that showed that his inaugural crowd size was greater than Obama's 2009 inaugural crowd, 
but where in addition, because of worldwide television coverage, his inauguration indisputably had a larger viewing audience than any other in history. What was done was really quite elementary. You simply take photographs uh, earlier before the inauguration and present them as though they were at the time of the inauguration, obfuscating the fact that the entire mall area had been filled all the way to the Washington Monument. And where I have uh, discussed this matter with two parties who were there at the time, Susan Lendauer on the one hand, a former CIA asset who, in fact, explained to the agency, because she was the liaison to Saddam Hussein, that he wanted to, uh, he offered to buy a, a million cars a year for the next 10 years. And as she was leaving, he added, and if that's not enough, make it 20. And from Rick Shattuck, who has sent me a photo from the Japanese new agency, uh, which shows a large crowd waiting to get admitted to the fenced-off mall area uh, at, 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 at 8.48 Eastern time. Evidently, the park rangers were given instruction from the Obama administration to keep the crowd out to make the crowd look small. He also observed that uh, rain was forecast for January 20th and umbrellas with metal were prohibited in the fenced mall area. So his wife declined to go even after his doing months of campaigning and picking up two tickets from Senator Grassley's office. I ended up selling hers to a Canadian reporter. Trump supporters came despite the rain forecast while Obama was inaugurated on a sunny day. A third point, inauguration tickets were sought after and for sale on Craigslist for about $200. Point four, people came from great distance, including Iowa and other states, to see the inauguration. So what we have is clearly, you know, orchestrated to create the visual impression that Donald Trump was not uh, receiving support from the people. And I've heard that claim repeated uh, on uh, CNN and other networks, that this was evidence that Trump didn't have the support of the people in this ongoing effort to delegitimize uh, the Trump administration. Here's another key point. The, Trump's expression of concern about voter fraud having been massive has been debunked by the New York Times. Here's a first paragraph. To support his call for a sweeping federal inquiry into his claims of vast voting fraud, President Trump turned on Friday to a little-known conservative access. Activists whose work on the issue has been widely discredited in his traffic and conspiracy theories. Greg Phillips and crew say at least 3 million votes were illegal, Mr. Trump wrote on Twitter, a reference to a claim by Mr. Phillips, who created an app to report voter fraud, that he had verified such regularities. With those words, Mr. Trump bestowed the imprimatur of the presidency on new ground, the feverish online fringes of American politics. But look at this. Jill Stein initiated a voter recount when it took place in Wisconsin, it increased Donald Trump's lead by 131 points in total, uh, where there was no evidence whatsoever of any manipulation of the vote here in Wisconsin. In Michigan, however, massive voter fraud was detected by Hillary Clinton, including precincts that vote 95% for Hillary that were found to have vast numbers of ballots added after the polls closed. In Detroit, uh, uh, ballots appeared to have been stuffed after, after the polls closed. Almost two-thirds of the precincts in Detroit, a city that also voted overwhelmingly for Hillary, did, did not 
that that match, those are the voting machine printouts. That means more than half of the vote for Hillary could be fraudulent. Moreover, as I've reported before, I went back to verify that Jerry Brown passed a new bill in 2015 that would allow illegals to vote. On its surface, California's new Motor Voter Act doesn't sound too controversial. Written in response to California's low voter turnout rates, it was recently approved by Governor Jerry Brown. Over the weekend, essentially, the law automatically enrolls everyone as a registered voter when they get their driver's license, unless they decide to opt out of the system. Uh, The problem being that it will make it easier than ever for illegal aliens to vote in California election since the state already allows illegal aliens to obtain driver's licenses. No one doubts that the vast majority of them would vote for Hillary Clinton. And I also reaffirmed the interview that Barack Obama had on the Latin-oriented YouTube channel MITU, M-I-T-U, with millennial actress Gina Rodriguez, who asked Obama, many of the millennials, dreamers, undocumented citizens, and I might call them citizens because they contribute to this country, are fearful of voting. So if I vote, will immigration know where I live? Will they come for my family and deport us? Obama responded, not true. And the reason is, first of all, when you vote, you are a citizen yourself. And there's not a situation where the voting rolls somehow are transferred over and people start investigating. The sanctity of the vote is strictly confidential. Well, you have the President of the United States equivocating over the meaning of the word citizen, saying that when you're in the voting booth, you're performing the act of a citizen, ignoring the fact that you're only allowed legally to perform the act of a citizen if you are a legal citizen. So there's Barack Obama once again subverting his, his oath of office to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And now we have no less than Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is exposed by WikiLeaks for running a campaign to sabotage the election of Bernie Sanders, where it appears that 13 states were stolen from Bernie by the DNC, led by Debbie Wasserman Schultz, complaining that Trump wants to order a major investigation into voter fraud as though it had no basis or foundation. The hypocrisy of the Democratic Party in this instance knows no bounds. I will be right back. This is The Conspiracy Guy. Did you know that Sandy Hook was a staged event where no children died? That the school had been closed since 2008 and there were no children there? Thirteen experts, including six Ph.D., current or retired college professors, proved that it was a two-day FEMA drill presented to the public as a real event. We even have the manual. There was a rehearsal on the 13th going live on the 14th. Some participants became confused and put up donation sites the day before. Even the shooter was recorded as dying before the event. You have been played by Eric Holder and Barack Obama. Now Hillary wants to extend the deception by posing as a champion of Sandy Hook to confiscate your guns. Don't let yourself be played. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. Available at moonrockbooks.com. That's moonrockbooks.com. Among the other stunning revelations emerging from WikiLeaks, of course, were the John Podesta emails uh, that led to headlines such as 
Breaking bombshell, NYPD blows whistle on new Hillary emails. Money laundering, sex crimes with children, child exploitation, pay-to-play perjury. My God, I mean, how many reasons do we have to not support a corrupt woman like Hillary Clinton who is using the Clinton Foundation as a pay-to-play where, to offer an illustration, Australia uh, contributed $75 million to the Clinton Foundation in return for which it got strong State Department support for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, widely expected <clears throat> to benefit Australia. Uh, the Donald has killed it very appropriately because among its other negative characteristics, it created an international board of corporate attorneys with a, a, a authority to override the laws and statutes of any nation up to and including the Constitution of the United States. So not only would the TPP continue the, the depletion, the, the, the destruction of the manufacturing and industrial base of the United States, as in the case of NAFTA, but it would have come at the cost of Amer the sovereignty of the United States uh, nation which is, of course, one of many reasons why, as in the case of a previous bill, Nancy Pelosi would urge you to pass the bill so we can see what it says. I mean, how absurd is that? The Donald has taken a forthright act in, in jettisoning the TPP, which is very good for the American people. So among, you know, the big three of his most important campaign promises, uh, ending the wars in the Middle East, he, He's clearly on that path and wants to improve relations with Russia. I believe, in fact, there is already coordination between the American military and Russia in taking out ISIS, which is going to happen in a very rapid fashion. Uh, number two, jettisoning the TPP and already opening negotiations about the North American Treaty Agreement with our partners Canada and Mexico. And third, securing our borders and controlling immigration, where that has been the source of this great controversy based on false premises, claiming that it's unconstitutional, illegal, and raises a, 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 a crisis of the dimensions of the, uh, of the, of the Watergate uh, scandal when Nixon fired Richards and, and Rocco's house. You have to know about Pizzagate. There's a wonderful uh, introduction out there, hashtag Pizzagate, what we know so far, where you'll learn a lot about it, how it started with John Podesta, clicked on a phishing scam email uh, sent to him by hackers and unwittingly handed over his password to them. The hackers handed Podesta's email over to WikiLeaks and they verified their authenticity before releasing them in the run-up to the 2016 U.S. election. John, who is John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's head of campaign during the 2016 election. He also worked closely with Barack Obama, Bill Clinton during their times in office. His brother, Tony, also involved in the scandal, was recently listed as one of the Washington, D.C.'s most powerful people by GQ magazine. What happened next? Volunteers on Twitter, Reddit, and 4chan shifted through the emails and discovered some that looked suspicious. First signs of suspicion were emails that appeared to contain some kind of code related to pizza and other food items. Things blew up when the infamous spirit cooking email from Marina Abravok to Tony Podesta was uncovered. Uh, we know now the code hot dog equals boy, pizza, girl, cheese, little girl, pasta, little boy, ice cream, male, prostitute, walnut or nuts, 
person of color, map, semen, sauce, orgy. Among the revelations that will startle you is that Obama spent about $65,000 flying in pizza slash dogs from Chicago for a private party at the White House. That's in WikiLeaks. Now, notice it would be simply absurd to fly pizza pies or hot dogs, even Chicago hot dogs, a thousand miles for consumption at the White House. Obviously, that did not happen. Number two, the White House forbids food being brought into the White House from an outside source in order to guard against the possibility of poisoning. And third, when you understand the code, Obama spent about $65,000, no doubt taxpayer money, flying in uh, little boys and little girls from Chicago for a private party at the White House, and you begin to get a sense of what's going on here, where now there's a great deal more going on that you can find if you check it out. The reason I bring this up is that the, the attempt to undermine the electors, to have, you know, turn them into faithless electors, which had the ultimate result that Donald lost two in Texas, but Hillary lost five, including four in, in the state of Washington, three of whom voted for Colin Powell, one of whom for a Native American activist, turned out to be the daughter of Nancy Pelosi, which got me con concerned about why she should be so uh, eager to keep Donald from entering the White House. And where I undertook a, 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 a research and discovered almost immediately that Nancy Pelosi owns a pizzeria, Gold Hill Pizza, which features the head of a goat with its horns, which is a classic uh, demonic or satanic symbol. Uh, a, a follower actually went to Goat Hill Pizza and took photographs. And would you believe that this pizzeria, unlike any other I've ever seen, has its walls covered with letters and drawings by little children. This to me is utterly shocking and disgusting and suggests to me that Nancy Pelosi is not only a, 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 a democratic stalwart who's willing to lie, cheat, and steal, but appears to be a participant in the Pizzagate scandals, which involve the sexual abuse and uh, torture, murder, and even cannibalism of children. I wish I did not have to say this. I wish it did not appear to be true. But aging women such as Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi appear to believe that they can be rejuvenated by drinking the blood of children. Now, we have a new report that Hillary Clinton is thinking of running for president again in 2020, which is a, a quite a, a remarkable idea uh, that she's going to have a, a television show of her own, be a talk show host. Yeah, I can't wait to sh see who'd show up for that. Where the man who filmed Hillary's collapse video has been hailed as a hero, many think that it made a major contribution <clears throat> because it raised serious questions about her health, where the alternative media have been reporting repeatedly about how she was unable to walk up steps unaided, how she'd frozen up at campaign events, how she had this head-bobbing uh, episode, how she was accompanied by a medical handler everywhere she went, why there were even a professor of medicine had declared she appeared to be suffering from a serious neurological problem. But until she collapsed, leaving the 9-11 memorial ceremony, uh, it, it, it didn't make it into the mainstream media. 
And indeed, only then, for example, because they were so concerned that health would become a major issue, they sent out someone from Chelsea's apartment that was two to three inches shorter, 35 to 40 pounds lighter, at least 10 years younger, very nimble, very agile, and very pleasant, all completely unlike Hillary Clinton. But because she so much reminded me of the actress in You've Got Mail, I referred to her as the Meg Ryan double. USA Today actually picked up on her having a body double, published an article, The Internet Thinks Hillary Clinton Has a Body Double. There really is no doubt about it. And indeed, uh, two days later, on the flight to Greensboro, there was a second Hillary double, this one taller and thinner, but having a more sloped forehead, a different nose, and missing the two moles Hillary has at the right corner of her mouth, above and below, to whom I referred as the Meryl Streep double. When you look at the comparisons, it isn't even close. And I give you more than a hundred photographs comparing these doubles in the moonrockabook.com volume from Orlando to Dallas and beyond, living in a fake reality where even Hillary Clinton is played by doubles. And now it turns out there has been yet another online Hillary Clinton exposed, no med cocktail, no camera filters, no professional makeup, no booster seat, even at the debates, including with Bernie Sanders, uh, a younger, thinner, uh, far more attractive version of Hillary appeared where it is one of the tests. It has been to study the eye teeth ratio, uh, which is by drawing a parallel line between the pupils of your eyes and the, the, the bottom of your upper teeth. Hillary has an eye teeth ratio of 1.12. But her replacement, her double for these events, the national debate is only 1.6. I mean, this is absolutely stunning. So Hillary Clinton herself has used at least three body doubles, three body doubles, some in national events. I'm shocked, by the way, that uh, Lester Holt is still uh, anchoring for the NBC News where he was going after Trump by doing his latest broadcast where you could see the Statue of Liberty in the background as though the Trump ban were somehow completely corrupt action. Lester Holt, may I remind you, sent over his questions to Hillary Clinton's campaign manager in Brooklyn a week in advance using an NBC intern who was dressed as a FedEx employee. Other reporters there noticed and identified him. One went and looked out to see and found no FedEx truck. During the actual debate, Lester Holt uh, moderated. He had an arrangement with Hillary that when she stroked her face, he would uh, go after Donald Trump and then throw uh, it over to her without asking an intervening question so she could deliver a patented zinger. Lester Holt, anchor, NBC News which clearly has no integrity whatsoever. What a disgrace. What an embarrassment. All of this has been documented in spades. We also have, by the way, the further attack, it's a rather curious one, on the White House statement about the Holocaust for Memorial Day, uh, where a representative of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt, has denounced it because there's no mention specifically of Jews. 
the Jewish magazine Forward has also attacked it. Uh, but the question becomes, you know, uh, what what the the announcement did was to encompass the the enormity of the war and all of the casualties. Uh, there, there were millions more who died in Russia than from any other nation during World War II, for example. And in fact, if you do research onto the Holocaust, you find it's a case where politics trumps science. I have done a massive amount of research on it, and you can find it at uh, online on my blog at the Holocaust Narrative, Politics Trumps Science. So where I discovered almost immediately that there were 236 references to 6 million Jews in dire straits or fear of loss of their lives in the international press beginning as early as 1890 and uh, extending up to prior to the uh, Nuremberg Tribunal. Uh, we also know from the international that the number itself appears to have a theological origin in a disputed passage of Leviticus that's been interpreted as meaning that the chosen people can return to the promised land only when there are minus six million who have been consumed in the flames, but where that requires interpolation because there was no word for six million in the original Hebrew, where the International Committee of the Red Cross kept extensive records on all of the camps in Germany and found when they updated their estimate in 1993 that the total was uh, 279.81, as I recall, less than 300,000. They keep records of their ages, uh, their, 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 their sex, their, their race, uh, their religion, uh, and their cause of death. And would you believe in that uh, not even 300,000, not one of them had died from being put to death in gas chambers uh, using Zyklon B. In fact, those were labor camps, not extermination centers, and you can't get work out of a corpse. Uh, Robert Forasson has been brilliant in exposing what was going on here. In his article online, you can find Against Hollywoodism, uh, Revisionism, where he explains that the Allies had bombed the German city so massively in a gross act of collective punishment that today is a war crime under the Article 33 of the Geneva Conventions of 1949 and had interdicted the railroad line so the German government was unable to resupply the camps. It wasn't their policy, and no one has ever been able to produce an order that Hitler wanted to put to death all the Jews in Germany. He wanted them deported out of Germany, but he did not want to put them to death. In fact, when you check it, more Catholics and Jews died at Auschwitz, for example. There was a British soccer team at Auschwitz. I was so struck that I put that on the back cover of the book, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, which includes four chapters on, on, on the Holocaust by three world experts Robert Forasson, who also authored an article about the Zundel trials, 1985 and 1988, where he explained the sensational the, 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 that during the first Zundel trial, the prosecution was unable to produce a single witness who could testify under oath to having seen any Jews put to death in gas chambers in any of these camps, and where during the second the, the Fred Lauchter report created a sensation 
because Lopter was an expert on gas chambers, traveled to Germany, examined the facilities, and testified in court under oath white, none of them could possibly have functioned as a gas chamber. So if you care about evidence-based uh, history, then you might find this uh, an introduction in my article, The Holocaust Narrative Politics Trump Science, which is also included in the book, along with a piece by Robert Forrestson I've already mentioned, another by uh, the, the author of the, the, the Holocaust debate, Thomas Dalton, another of the world's experts, and a third by Nicholas Kohlerstrom, uh, uh, Ph.D. Robert Forrestson has a Ph.D. as well. Uh, from the UK, who's the world's leading expert on the London 7-7 subway bombings. His book, Terror on the Tube, is now in its third edition, and where uh, Nick gives an update and explains how, in publishing his book, Breaking the Spell, the Holocaust myth and reality, he had access to what were known as the British death books, which enabled him to verify what the British had gathered by having cracked the German code. The Germans were very meticulous, very detailed. He was able to compare and use the German, uh, the death books that the British had transcribed during World War II to confirm the fact that the, the, the Holocaust narrative cannot be sustained on the basis of objective evidence and, and scientific research. Indeed, uh, he also explains how in the walls of chambers where Zyklon B is used, uh, where Zyklon B is a mild form of cyanide, that uh, the walls turn blue because of a chemical interaction where, where uh, uh, Germar Rudolph had conducted studies, had gone to do research, and he found in that the only chambers in the camps in which that occurred was where they were conducting delousing of inmates using Zyklon B in order to kill body lice that were responsible for the spread of dysentery and typhus. So they were using Zyklon B, but was keep the inmates in good health because, as I've observed, you can't get work out of a corpse. So not, not only do we have, of course, the case of uh, uh, the, the, the Holocaust uh, being attacked, but as I previously mentioned, there's this movie uh, entitled Patriot's Day, which is a more recent illustration of the duplicity of the mainstream media and the press. Because <clears throat> the film gives a completely fictional account of a completely fictional event. Uh, it, it, it has been praised by critics as being, uh, uh, you know, uh, very accurate, uh, very responsive to what actually happened. But that's completely false. We have a video where you can hear in the background the police on bullhorns calling out, this is a drill, this is a drill. We have tweets from the Boston Globe declaring that a controlled explosion will be set off uh, as a part of bomb squad activities, that police will have a controlled explosion on the 600 block on Boylston Street, one minute later in front of the library, and indeed one minute later in front of the Boston Public Library, one of these explosions takes place. As a former artillery officer in the Marine Corps, these were not powerful explosives. I doubt they could have killed anyone, unless possibly they were sitting on top, but even then I don't believe 
the injuries would have been fatal. When you peer through the dust, you see there are bodies lying there with missing arms and legs, but there is no blood. As Lorraine Day, MD, the head of trauma surgery at San Francisco General Hospital, has observed that is a physiological impossibility. You cannot have bodies with arms and legs blown off by explosives and there be no blood. If you look closely, you can see in relation to one of the ostensible victims that there's a man in a hoodie who's attaching a false bone extension to his legs that appear to have been blown off below the knee in order to create a more horrific image. Uh, the blood only shows up later, and it's fake blood, not ho uh, Hollywood blood. It came out of tubes, and we see the very party with a fake bone extension keeping his head off of the sidewalk because that's where people spit. Believe it or not, uh, this, this, this man is rushed off in a wheelchair, which is exactly the wrong thing to do if you're dealing with a patient who actually is suffering from these kinds of images because then the, the, the uh, gravity helps to draw out the blood. Carlos Arredondo, who was identified as an actor in a film by Nathan Folks, its producer, is running along beside him. Believe it or not, the vibrations cause a false prosthesis to come loose. They have to stop and reattach it. But would you believe we, we've been able to identify this person as Nick Voigt, a former U.S. Army officer who lost his legs in Kandahar, Afghanistan, with the 1st Striker Brigade, 25th Infantry Division in November of 2011. He lost his legs below the knee and his little finger on his left hand. Well, would you believe just 17 days later, the same figure whose name is supposed to be Jeff Bauman shows up at a Boston Bruins game, only now he's got his, lost his legs above the knee and he's waving a Boston Bruin flag and, and he has all of his digits. I had a conversation with Dr. Stan Monteith, who's an orthopedic surgeon, who's performed these kinds of amputation. He says this is very disturbing to him because it takes three months just to recover from the loss of your legs, whether by an accident or by a surgery, and that another three in order to learn how to get around without your legs. But here he's doing perfectly fine. And believe it or not, Gary King, a collaborator of mine in relation to JFK research, found yet a third individual being wheeled off at a baseball game by none other than Carlos Arredondo, and now he has no legs at all. That was so fascinating that I turned it into a, a video entitled Boston Strong, uh, you know, the three Jeff Baumans, which you can find online. If we return to the, the movie Patriot's Day, however, they show Zoker present at the scene, uh, where his, his backpack appears to have become surprisingly dark suddenly. At one scene in the film, it actually shows that he has a silver-covered backpack, which is a stunning inclusion in the video. Uh, must have been because in the, when they photoshopped the image of the young men, who were, of course, Muslim, into the video, uh, he, he had a silver backpack, Neither of them were wearing black nylon backpacks. According to the FBI, both of the backpacks that exploded were black nylon backpacks. Uh, the alternative media actually cracked this case the day of the event by discovering the presence of Kraft International personnel. This is a private army founded by Chris Kyle, the American sniper about whom a Hollywood movie was made. 
And you see two of these guys heading toward one of the locations, one wearing a black nylon backpack with a white square. The backpack that explodes is a white nylon backpack with a white square. He's seen running away, no longer wearing the black nylon backpack with a white square. In another image from the film, you can see the, uh, a Tamerlan Saranova, the older brother, uh, who is clean-shaven. Uh, and that is the reason why uh, Rep Saranova, who is the boy's aunt, contacted me and told me they'd been the, the image of them at the scene had been photoshopped. And I asked how she could tell. And she began and she said that's it's because he's shown clean shaven when he had a beard. And she began sending me photographs of him lying in bed with his cat. He had a beard, uh, a link to a workout tape at a gymnasium with his younger brother. He had a beard. She reported a uh, that one of their friends contacted him after the marathon relieved a discovery was nowhere in the area. They had dinner together. He had a beard in, in surveillance tapes from uh, from a convenience store. Zoker's inside. He's out. He has a beard. When he's arrested in Watertown, he's stripped naked and put into a police vehicle. And before they fuzzied up his face, he had a beard in his death photograph. You see with his huge slice on the side of his body, he has a beard. Now, the police uh, uh, claimed that, that he died uh, because his brother ran over him with an automobile. But that was impossible. He couldn't have run over him with an automobile once he'd been taken into custody. And in fact, we have a witness who reported watching him driven over three times in a black SUV, apparently uh, his, own, his own vehicle, uh, where, where Zoker had nothing to do with it. In the film, however, to obfuscate the glaring fact that uh, Tamerlan was taken into custody by the police uh, and, and then found dead, uh, where Zoker was still on the lam and was arrested, found in a boat, uh, they, they introduce a completely new scenario where there's a huge shootout including the throwing of explosive taking place in Watertown, for which there is no factual evidence whatsoever, completely contrived, a phony story about a phony event. There's more about it, but let me just reiterate the theme here. Uh, the mainstream media in Hollywood is wholly complicit with the government in pulling the wool over the eyes of the American people, and we've not had a more stunning illustration of the complicity and corruption of the mainstream media than we have going on right now in relation to the perfectly legal and constitutional ban on Muslims introduced by Donald Trump. This is, this is the conspiracy guy. Thank you for listening.